We are 13 days into 2019. I'm just stating the obvious. Last week I asked, right? Last week I asked, who of you have made New Year's resolutions? And, you know, about half the church did. And then I asked, who here has already broken those New Year's resolutions? About half of them had, you know, sort of dropped their hand and sheepishly six days. Uh, if I was to ask that question again, now that's 13 days, probably another half would um, have dropped their hands. You know, one of the, 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 the things about, uh, the thing about news resolutions that I always find interesting is, have you ever made the same news resolution every year? Like every year you find yourself making the same resolution? I think for about good 10 to 15 years, uh, one of my resolutions was always, Steve, this is a year to lose some weight, right? Every year. I don't make that resolution anymore. I've just sort of accepted the fact that it's just, you know, only God can do his mighty works, you know? But have you ever, have you ever been in this cycle where you make the same resolution and the same resolution and you get frustrated because you don't change? I think that's one of the most interesting things about New Year's resolutions is that it shows us actually not how strong we are, but how weak we are. You know, we make these grand plans, but, but we break these grand plans all the time. And it's because we struggle to change. And there's a whole psychological part of why we struggle to change. Um, you know, there's articles and, and many reasons why, but... Some of it have to do with the fact that, that change has to do with negative feelings. We don't, we don't like feeling negative. And so any kind of change, it's like, ah, I don't like that because it's negative. Uh, some of it has to do with our habits. Our habits are actually stronger than what we think they are. And that's why we can't change. And, 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 and some of it actually has to do with our insecurities of who we are as a person. So we'd like to change, but if we change, then that's going to challenge who I am, and we can't do that. One of the worst habits that uh, I'm going to confess to you, some may or may not know, um, one of the worst habits that I have uh, and I've had since early high school is um, when I'm thinking, and if I've got a pen in my hand, I'm chewing on the back of that pen. It's disgusting. It's an absolute disgusting habit that I have. Uh, most of the guys that, that have been uh, at a meeting at my house would have used a pen that had like bite marks on the back of it. It's so disgusting. Um, I don't even know that I'm doing it. That's how crazy this habit is. Like I'll sit there and usually I'll be in front of my computer and usually thinking about something and suddenly, there's a liquid in my mouth. Right? And you taste, have you ever tasted ink? I've tasted ink. Not nice at all. And I have told myself, this is a disgusting habit, Steve. You're turning 36 this year. It's time for you to throw this habit. And yet, even last night, as I was writing this, I was like, wow, that's a disgusting habit. Chewing on my pen. One thing that we understand about change is, one, it's inevitable. The change will happen all around you. It's funny, like, we don't, we don't like change happening around us, but 
we also can't change ourselves when we want to change. It's one of the great ironies in our lives. Don't you want to change? I do. Aren't there things in your life where you're like, you know what, 2019, this is the year. I'm going to change. I'm going to be different. And yet for so many of us, 13 days in, we already, it's gone. We're going to read a passage today that shows us what change, what real change is like. And it's about this guy called Paul, the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was the first missionary in the Bible, meaning that he was the first person to take the message of Jesus Christ outside of Jerusalem, outside of the Jewish um, province. Now, we know the Apostle Paul, if you've been coming to church, you would know the Apostle Paul as the author of a whole bunch of writings in the New Testament in the Bible that we have. You know, Paul is considered one of the Bible's heroes, the, the forefather to the missionary movement in the world. He is a dead set Christian legend. But he wasn't like that all the time. Actually, when we first meet Paul at the end of Acts chapter 7, and this is a very personal story to me, is that, that we meet this amazing man of God with one of the greatest names in the whole of the Bible, Stephen. And we meet this guy who's a leader in the church, and, and, and we know Stephen to be the first martyr, the first person to die for his faith. And there we, we meet, we meet, we read this story where they are throwing rocks to kill Stephen because of his belief in Jesus. And these men and women that are throwing these rocks, because it's a very hot exercise when you throw rocks. I never thought about this. But the, in Acts chapter 8, it reads, uh, and saw approved of their killing him. Actually, in 7, it says that they were taking their clothes off and they were laying them at the feet of Saul. Now, Saul's Paul, same person. I found that a little bit humorous, right? Like, you get hot because you're killing the guy, you're stoning him, and so you have to take your jumper off. Anyway, I found that hilarious, but okay. Thank you. The story continues. Now, this is who Saul is. I'm just trying to picture, uh, give you a picture of who this guy is, Saul slash Paul. The story continues where Saul will go out to the church with the sole purpose to destroy it. That's his purpose in life. So that's all we know about this guy. This guy, he's a zealous guy. He's a teacher of the law. He's a Jewish guy. He's a Pharisee. And his sole purpose in life is to destroy those that believe in Jesus. And he's good at it. He goes around into homes. Into, into gatherings. He finds out who the Christians are. He'll pull them out, put them in jail, kill them. That's who this is. And then in verse, uh, in Acts chapter 9, we read of this amazing story, of this change. And I want to read this whole story because I know a lot of us would have already read this passage before or know this passage, but I want to read it just asking God to, to show us afresh what this passage shows us. So we're going to read Acts chapter 9. Verse 1 to 18. If you get your Bibles, that'd be great to open them. If not, it's up on the screen. 
Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, and that was the name of these Jesus followers, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Right? This is what Saul is about. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now see the story. At the beginning of the story, Saul is in a place where he is breathing murderous threats against the disciples. He has gotten letters. He has gotten permission to go down to a city called Damascus to literally find the Christians and persecute them, to put them into jail and for some to kill them. And yet by the end of the story, in verse 18, he got up and was baptized in the name of Jesus, the one he was persecuting. No one hears his story and goes, oh, you know, Saul just had a change in heart. No one thinks, oh, you know, he just changed a bit of his behavior. No, when we look at the story, when we read this passage, we look and see transformation, life transformation. The same man who was out to destroy the church has a personal encounter with Jesus and from that moment, nothing is the same. His name changes from Saul to Paul. 
His life purpose changes from destroying the church to building it. From persecuting the name of Jesus to preaching the name of Jesus. The same guy in his letter to the Christians in Rome, in Romans 1.16 reads this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. What was the agent of change? What was the reason why Saul changed his life, his name, his purpose? What was it that caused this change? And it was the encounter with Jesus. The good news of Jesus. And we call this the gospel. So many of us have softened what the gospel really is. So many of us, we hear the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. And we think to ourselves, well, good news of Jesus must be good for us. That when we have the gospel, like we understand the theory, right? Yes, Jesus came to save people from their sins and give them eternal life. But the problem is, we see the gospel as a passive gospel. It's not a very active gospel. It's something that we kind of know in the background. And it kind of affects some of our conversation and our lives but we fail to see the real power. The power of God that that brings salvation to everyone that believes. See, something that I want us to recognize tonight as we start 2019 is really what is the gospel? The gospel is not a passive message of saying that, hey, if you meet Jesus, you know, your hard life is going to get just that little bit better. Hey, if you meet Jesus, then, you know, you're going to see some of these changes that are going to, you know, make you feel good about yourself. No, the gospel tells us that it is the power of God, the power of God. It does not change behavior. No, it gives us life. The gospel is not about behavior modification. It's not about having that warm, fuzzy feeling inside of us. It's going from a state of spiritual death to a place of eternal life. We need to recognize, we need to recognize that this is the gospel. Can I be as bold to say that there is nothing in this world, there is nothing in all the history of humanity that has the power to bring about such life transformation over the whole globe and change a society. There is nothing more powerful. There is no greater agent of change than the gospel of Jesus. As believers, let me ask you, name one thing in your life that has had a greater influence, that has had a greater Uh, 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 change or cause of change in your life than you encountering Jesus personally. I'm telling you now, 12 years of marriage is an amazing agent of change. I have changed in 12 years a lot. I've become better looking. 
because my wife has convinced me that we need to look after our skin. I've only, it took me 11 and a half years. I've only started using it like a few months ago, but I actually now use skincare. Amazing. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, right? You know, so many things have changed, but they are nothing compared to how Jesus has changed my life. Think about this, right? Jesus had 12 disciples, just 12. Okay, one of them betrays him, so really he ended up with 11. And then the substitute came in, the reserve. And then the believers, it grew to a crowd of a few hundred. And then after the death of Jesus, it grew to a few thousand. Now, this guy, Paul, he takes that gospel message out of Jerusalem and he goes and takes it to the nations. In the first hundred years, in the first hundred years after the the, the birth and death of Jesus, in the first hundred years, they say that there were roughly just under 10,000 Christians. 10,000, fewer than 10,000. Percentage-wise, I think I've got this up there. Percentage-wise, that is 0.0017% of that Roman Empire population, first hundred years. Now, second hundred years, right? At 200 AD, they reckon that the number of Christians doubled, right? But that still only got to about 0.36 of a percent. We're not even at a percent yet. Not even at a percent, right? Now, this is where it starts to jump. In the next 50 years after, In the next 50 years after, they reckon the percentage went up to about 1 million Christians. Okay? So, in 50 years, it went from 20,000 Christians to 1 million. That's 50 times the amount. And then in the next 50 years, they reckon that the Christians made up about 10% of that population, which is about 6 million. The population is about 60 million. You're at 6 million Christians. Now, let me just run those numbers again. 10,000, first 100 years. 20,000 in the next 100 years. In the next, next, in the third 100, it went from 20,000 to 6 million. How can, how can there be such a change? You know, the closest thing that we have right now is what we would call viral trends, viral videos. How do I know this? Because I am culturally sensitive. I'm all over it. Last night, I I watched the top viral videos of 2018. Amazing. Best 20 minutes of my life. I just don't understand why there's so many cat videos in it. I don't understand why people are intrigued with with cats falling and cats, you know, barking. They do all sorts of things. Christianity, I'm going to tell you, Christianity was the first viral trend in all of humanity. There is nothing that was greater, that was picked up greater and brought about such a change in so such a short period of time. It wasn't 
social justice that changed society. It wasn't education that changed society. It wasn't good economics that changed society. No, it was the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. That's what the power of the gospel is. John Newton was a captain of a slave ship. He would sail to Africa by slaves and then transport them back to Europe and sell them for profit. On one journey, on the water, God met him. God met him face to face. And it was this idea in John's mind. How could I, such a bad person, making profit from selling other human beings, how could I be accepted? How could God love a person like me? And it was this love that transformed John. And John went from being the captain of a slave ship to becoming a pastor. And no one knows the ministry of John Newton, but you all know the song that he wrote, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now, That's a pretty deep meaning if you understand who wrote the song. Who saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. What brings about such a great change from someone that is selling people? A slave driver, a slave merchant to Becoming a pastor, what was the agent of change? It was the gospel of Jesus, a personal encounter with Jesus. Now, some of you may or may not know, but a lot of the schools, a lot of the hospitals, a lot of the charities that you may or may not know of, many of them have their roots in the faith, in in the Christian faith. World Vision, Compassion, Salvation Army, Red Cross. You know, uh, we don't have it as much here, but, you know, in, in the States, you know, there's like, you know, First Presbyterian Hospital. You know, like, I guess the closest that, that we have would be the, the SAN, right? Up in Warunga, SAN Adventist, what is it? The SAN. <laughs> that was uh, a hospital that was... Uh, create Sydney Adventist Hospital. Is it? What's the N? So what's it called now? Sa. Sa. <laughs> Sydney Adventist Hospital, which was built out of the uh, the, the the Adventist Church. You know, think about all the 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 Catholic schools. So many Catholic schools. You know, all the Christian schools, you know, all the private schools on the North Shore are built out of the Christian faith. The Uniting Church, the Anglican Church, the Presbyterian Church. Think about it. People give generously their finances. You know, people serve church they, they give hospitality. They open their doors to complete saint, strangers. They, they go out and they serve the, the poor and the needy. You know, uh, uh, the, the deadly plague, when it hit Europe, 
It's estimated that that 50 million people died in that plague. 50 million people died in the plague in Europe. And one of the great stories that came out of that was everyone was trying to get out of Europe. Everyone's trying to flee Europe because of this disease. And there was a group of people that decided to stay. Do you know who that was? It was the believers of Jesus Christ. You've got to ask yourself, why? Why would these people do such a thing? What has changed in their life? What has impacted their life that they would not just hang around to help? Think about it, right? It's not just hang around to help people that are sick. Ultimately, the decision to stay was to put, to sign away their own life. Why would they do that? To make them feel good about themselves? To have that warm, fuzzy feeling? No. It is because their lives had been transformed by Jesus. They had changed from their selfish ways to align their lives with the person and mission of Jesus. Their lives had been transformed. This is what the power of the gospel can do. Friends, we do not believe in a God that is passive, not involved, and far away, but we believe in a God that is desperate to be a part of our lives and to bring about not just change in our lives, but to bring about transformation in our lives. God is not interested in your behavior just becoming that little bit better or, you know, just become a little bit nicer. No, God is interested in changing the essence, the core essence of your soul from becoming a dead spirit to one that is alive. God brings about this change through the gospel, exercising the true power in the form of the saving grace of Jesus. Now, some of you, this is a very different concept. It's a very new concept. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to ask a few guys to come and just quickly share what does this mean? How has the gospel transformed their life? So I asked Pastor May and I asked our worship leader, James, because I figured at least those two, something would come out. Something should come out. I'll start with James and then we'll go May. How has the gospel transformed your life? Uh, for me, it's been... Um the massive change has been my worldly perspective on like chasing after money and chasing after comfort and and things like that. And it's really changed in terms of um, I'm not just living for this world and for this moment, but for eternity and eternal perspective. Like there's more on the other side. And so for me, my it's been worldly perspective changed to an eternal perspective. Yes. All right, Pastor May, you passed. You can stay. That was really short. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, um, okay. Um, I became a Christian when I was 12 years old. So it's a little bit difficult to know what I would have been like um, if I hadn't become a Christian. Um, but there, of course, like many things have, like the gospel has changed me in many ways. Um, I, I just want to share like one thing that's been constant since I became a Christian. And this constant thing, really um, makes up who I am today. And I think it's this, like, I, I have a deep sense of security and a deep sense of peace because I know who I belong to. So I know who I am. I know why I'm here. I know what I'm doing 
like how like you know what I'm doing here in this world. I know where I'm going. Um, God is my father. Jesus is my older brother, and he's my best friend. Heaven is my home. Um, and because I know this, like whatever happened in my life till now, like I have this really deep sense of security in Jesus. And I just want to share a dream that I had with you um, because this kind of highlighted to me what my relationship with God was like. So I have a lot of fears in my life. Um, and one big fear <laughs> is so irrational is that, you know, people just randomly come, come and like try to attack me or kill me. So I hate like, oh, sorry, this is not my sermon. Anyway, back to, back to my sharing. Um, <laughs> um, so anyway, in my dream, I was really scared because I know I, like in my dream, Satan was coming to my house. And I was like, I remember being so scared in the dream. And then I was telling my mom and I was telling Ian, I was like, oh, my brother, could be my brother. I was like, Satan's coming to our house tomorrow. Like, what are we going to do? We're so doomed. Like, we're so scared. And then, and then like, I remember that moment. It's like, oh, the doorbell rang. It's like, Satan's here. What are we going to do? Are we going to open the door? And then I remember that light, like, um, basically, my perspective changed, and in that dream, and it wasn't like I like it wasn't me that opened the door. It was actually Jesus that opened the door. So I didn't get to see out there because Jesus was on the inside opening the door for us. And at that point in my dream, I I was like, oh, yes, I didn't need to deal with this. Like Jesus has it covered, and I had a really like deep overwhelming sense of peace and then I woke up from that dream and I was like that actually that is quite representative of what my life is like with God like whatever comes Jesus is the one that's going to open the door for me um, so I just wanted to share that um, yeah I have this security because of Jesus thank you thank you Friends, we don't come to church, and I hope that you don't come to church to hear an inspirational TED Talk. Because one, I'm not that inspirational, really. You know, like, we don't go to the Bible for wisdom to try to make our lives a better place, to try to make this world a better place. We come together to celebrate what God has done for us, changed our lives, changed our futures, changed our identities. We really believe that the gospel is not just about upgrading your life. We really believe that the power of the gospel is to literally transform your life. That's why one of the core values at our church is life transformation. We believe that an encounter with Jesus, an acceptance of, of His grace, it's not that it just makes things better, but it changes everything. I wanted to preach this message as we send our Cambodia team out. And I wanted to just quickly address our team. And I wanted to just re remind you that what you have in your hands as you go to Cambodia is not just good news for you. It's not just let's help these kids have a better life in Cambodia. But what you have is the power of transformation. You have the power of change. You hold the key to the greatest transformation that the land of Cambodia needs.
So please do not underestimate what you have and what you're heading over to do. It's not just going to sing a few songs and getting to know some people. It's to introduce them to Jesus. And in the same way that Jesus can change a man like Saul, we believe that Jesus can transform the nation of Cambodia. I hope that you believe that, and I hope that you take that with you. As I conclude, let me ask you, how has the, tra- how has the gospel transformed your life? Has it? Has Jesus just, you know, you just put him on a key ring and just makes you feel good when you see him? Or is Jesus like a hospital? Every time you're struggling, you just sort of go and get a bit of a shot and, you know, you're fine. Or is Jesus like, you know, you know, like helpline, like, you know, like I'm so lonely. I, you know, I need someone to hang out with. Oh, Jesus is there for me. When you meet Jesus... And when you accept the good news that Jesus loves you, everything changes. Your worldview changes. Your view on the way you speak changes. The way you view money and possession changes. The way you raise your children changes. The more you converse with Jesus, the more you get to know him, the more you allow him to be a part of your life. I keep, I'm going I'm to keep banging this drum. It's not because I want your life to be better. When you meet Jesus, he doesn't make your life better. He gives you life. It's transformation. The flip side of the coin is this. Some of you may be a Christian or proclaim to be a Christian, And yet your life is no different to anyone else's. Your life has not changed in the last 10, 5, 3 years. I'm telling you now, you, you can't go through something major in your life without it affecting you. The only reason why I've even gotten to the 12-year mark in my marriage is because after we got married, things changed. Imagine if I just lived for 12 years like a single man, like I did before. Like, hey, 10 o'clock, hey, who wants to go out for burgers? And I was like, who's going to watch over our four children? I said, I don't know, but I really feel like burgers. Macca's run. (laughs) No, you don't go through major event in your life without affecting you, and not just affecting you, but transforming you. And that's what Jesus does, and that's what the gospel, that's what the gospel does. Let me remind you, the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. I pray that your life would be transformed, not just little changes, but it would be transformed by the person and the works of Jesus. Let me pray.